0: Information cascades in magic. In magic, there's one thing we all crave, information. Be it in the form of articles or tech or statistics, we can't get enough of that sweet, sweet gold. But what if the information is leading you in circles? What if the information spawns faulty logic and inbred testing conclusions? In this excellent article, Pat examines the phenomenon of information cascades and shares some pertinent tips regarding our creative process.
1: By Patrick Chapin from June 28th, 2006. In the early part of the 20th century, the American naturalist William Beebe came upon a strange sight in the Guyana jungle. A group of army ants was moving in a huge circle. The circle was 1,200 feet in circumference and it took each ant two and a half hours to complete the loop. The ants went round and round the circle for two days until most of them dropped dead. What BB saw was what biologists call a circular mill. The mill is created when army ants find themselves separated from their colony. Once they're last, they obey a single rule. Follow the ant in front of you. The result is the mill, which usually only breaks up when a few ants struggle off by chance and others follow them away. The Wisdom of Crowds, page 40, by James, something or other. <laughs> Ghost Dad was a classic example of a circular mill, an information cascade, which I'll get into later. In the standard season just passed, many black-white options were available. None obviously initially superior to the rest. With black-white control and black-white hand-in-hand as default, controlling and aggressive Orzov strategies initially. Ghost Dad and Ghost Husk were two particular innovations people could select from if they desired. Early on, more people were drawn to the alluring nature of tallow wisps and sleepless pillories. As a result, others imitated them, assuming they had some sort of good information that they were basing their decisions on, such as the idea that Thief of Hope and Strands of Undeath might be stronger than Antuco Husk and Promise of Boon or at least that Ghost Dad's synergy made up for what it lacked in power. As a result, players were convinced that Ghost Dad was not just decent, it was great! It got to the point where in the Team PTQ season, Ghost Dad was the most popular black-white deck, followed by Hand in Hand, followed by Ghost Husk. Out of 100 players playing Ghost Dad, perhaps 90 assumed it was good, because everyone else said it was. Now in the long run, imitation has to be effective for people to keep doing it. People are not slavishly imitative, no matter how much it may look like everyone net decks. The results will carry information, despite a cascade. As I said, we'll get into what exactly these cascades are and how they form momentarily. First, let's look a little more at what happened to the great Ghost Dad strategy. Early on, Ghost Dad was winning, which fueled its popularity. However, while it was doing so, it became more and more clear this was a function of it being played so much. One need only look at the percentages of the time Ghost Dad players were qualifying versus Ghost Husk players. You know what I like? Math. Brian Hacker. The results speak for themselves. Every week, Ghost Husk won a larger percentage of the time than Ghost Dad. Every week this happened, it sent a signal to players that Ghost Husk was better. In reality, Ghost Dad was a gimmick. It had surprise value in a tournament where people were not expecting Spiritcraft shoals, and auras. It took many players a few weeks to figure out how to play against it. It was even a reasonable metagame, albeit for a metagame, that quickly vanished. It was not, however, good. Its cards are notoriously underpowered. It's slow. It's weak versus all the best decks, and it's easy to play around once you know how. Ghost Husk, on the other hand, is a brutal, lightning-quick, aggressive force that is strong versus good, desk, d- good decks, while containing about as much synergy as Ghost Dad. Hold on, Roman. I'm going to pause here for a second. Do you have any idea what Ghost Dad and Ghost Husk are?
0: I have no clue whatsoever. This was way before my time.
1: Okay. So the format that Patrick Chapin is currently writing about in uh, 2006, is that the year we're in, 2006, was um, following Pro Tour Honolulu, the one that I built the Urzatron deck for Osip that he made Top 8 with, that... Um, Chapin's longtime uh, collaborator, BFF, teammate, whatever you want to call him from uh, from Michigan, uh, Mark Herberholtz won with uh Gruul Agro, right? So mm-hmm. uh Black White was was powerful. It was uh one of the premier guilds of the second Ravnica set, right, which mm-hmm. was the, the set for it was the new set for um Honolulu and it included cards like Mortify and Ghost Council of Vorzova. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Paulo Vitor da Mordorosa got his first top 16 at this Pro Tour playing just a regular black white hand in hand deck, for example. Uh, Olivier Ruel made a top four of this Pro Tour uh, and he got defeated in the $16,000 Lightning Helix, which most everybody's ever seen, just playing a regular black white hand in hand deck. You could just play these like efficient um two twos for 1 and 2 mana in black and white. You could have some Bushido, you could have some Protection. You could stick uh, Umazawa's Jite, and you just had high-quality cards that were, like, not that synergistic. Now, however, one of the emerging decks from that Pro Tour was Ghost Dad. And Ghost Dad was a gimmick. Instead of playing good cards, Ghost Dad played this weird um, sort of Kamigawa uh, synergy. It played this card, Talawisp. Uh, which is like a 1-3 for 2 that whenever you played a spirit or arcane spell, you could search your library for uh, an enchant creature card. And it played like 8 shoals. It played like the damage-preventing shoal, and it played like the contagion shoal. So those are arcane cards. So basically, you would just play this stupid 1-3 instead of playing like a, a legitimately good creature. And then when it could like kill your creature or defend from damage, it could go search for... Equivalent of a pacifism, right? So it was a gimmick. Uh, early on in the PTQ season, which is Team PTQ season, Ghost Dad was actually pretty good against Agro, which had just won the Pro Tour. So, uh, like Patrick was saying, it was very popular early on. Now, a deck that had developed about three weeks into the PTQ season was Ghost Husk. Ghost Husk played a card called Promise Boon Ray, which mm-hmm. uh, um, could make you sack, could make, 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 make like four one one You make tokens, yeah, and then it combined it with Nantuko Husk. So right. you could just get these surprise kills like hatred type kills and um it was so players like Osip Levadovich were playing ghost husk right uh, because Osip deigned to play in the PTQ season despite having just top uh, top eight of the pro tour because he was like trying to get friends qualified um, mm. and then like lamers were playing ghost dad uh, so uh I when I qualified I played a green white uh a green white uh gauzy Glare deck that incorporated all the best elements of Ghost uh, Ghost Dad actually, and but into a different deck and better deck. Um, but so Patrick is just talking about, um, you know, like there's a lot of instances of people. Okay, here here's a really great example of an information cascade right now. Right now, if you look at modern burn decks, what is everybody playing four copies of? Ro- or Skullcrack. Skullcrack. Royal and Vortex over Eidolon, but Yeah, but bigger... Skullcrack is not a playable magic card. But they're all playing it, right? So when I get in an argument with people, it's like, oh man, on the Burn Discord, we're all playing four Skullcrack, it must be right. And they don't have any Lightning Helix, right? It yeah. makes no and sense. And they're, and they're playing like four, four uh, Vortex main too. Well, another example Vortex that we... Vortex is a good card, but Skullcrack is not a playable magic card. And and they're playing four copies and they're playing no Eidolons. But it's just, it's just Ghost Dad. Like, they, they saw the guy in front of them playing for, for Skullcrack. That's why they're playing it. So right. like, I, I was trying to talk to this, some guy on Twitter, and and he's just like, his answer is, we're all playing it. I'm like, I literally watched Mengu's whole stream. There was one instance in 15 games where Skullcrack was better than Lightning Helix, and he was tapped out when that instance happened. Right? Like, it makes no sense to play Skullcrack and not Lightning Helix in a format where people are all slamming ragavans at you. Right. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Another example, too, is remember how we, we would talk about Arid Mesa years ago and how bad Arid, or even like Arid Mesa or like stomping
1: grounds, for example. Right. That's what everyone was doing. But it wasn't right. Yeah. Arid Mesa is literally wrong. It is like it's mathematically wrong. And a lot of the time people are just like, well, it doesn't matter that much. But like, you know, that's a well, a dime is not very much money. So the fact that it's more than a nickel, it's like, well, it's just it's only five cents, right? That's true, but you if you multiply it over many, many, many times, that five cents delta starts looking twice as good, right?
0: I mean, I can pinpoint two matches in my career where
1: um, it was a lot more important that I had Bloodstained Meyer or Scalding Tarn in play over. <laughs> Aaron, oh, so. I have totally won. Ma- I've won matches against like Crixus Death Shadow where. Where my opponent didn't, because re- I played like a first turn, you know, blue-red or black-red fetch land and said go. They thought they were playing the mirror, and they like did nine to themselves in the first two turns, you know, mm-hmm. before realizing that I was a burn deck. right? Like, But this is a great example of, it, of what Chabin is talking about that Information Cascade. People are playing Skullcrack because the guy in front of them played Skullcrack, not because it's good. Correct. Um, so anyway, I just want to make sure you understood what Ghost Dad and Ghost Husk were, because these are old decks. Um, Okay, let me let me get back into this. All things considered, it is remarkable that Wizards R&D doesn't make more questionable choices than it does, given the extremely small group of playtesters and how, if not probable, it is for ideas to become inbred. This is a testament to the skill and independence of thought at Wizards R&D, as well as the importance of their outside playtest groups which are not likely to make the same set of mistakes or oversights as the primary developers. I have to step away again for a second. This was written like relatively briefly after Patrick himself was in Wizards R&D. <laughs> <laughs> and this I don't think he would co-assign this structure today. Among other things, they don't have outside testers anymore. right? Um, but th- this was written at a very different time of the structure of R&D, of course. Independent individuals are more likely to have new information rather than the same old data everyone already has. Hence Wizard R&D's use of outside playcessors, which again don't exist. The smallest groups, then, are made up of people with diverse perspectives who are able to stay independent of each other. This doesn't imply rationality or impartiality, though. You can be biased and irrational, but as long as you are independent, you won't make the group dumber. The interesting dilemma is that typically the more influence a group's members exert on each other and the more personal contact they have with each other, the less likely it is that the group's decisions will be wise, i.e. in bright play playtesting. When a group of players first start testing with each other, they may have a variety of ideas to pursue. However, if the circle remains closed, tightly knit group, everyone begins to imitate everyone else. While this can make the individuals individually smarter, i.e. make better card choices for a specific deck and tournament, it tends to make them dumber, i.e. less good ideas for card and deck ideas in general, as a collective due to everyone making the same mistakes. For instance, if you have no idea what to play, copying Ghost Dad will greatly improve your chances for success in the short run. However, if everyone did this, they'd never discover Ghost Husk's true strength. Imitation typically benefits the individual now. Innovation tends to benefit the group eventually. If you have a group of independent individuals with some information, and they each make a decision, that decision is based on two factors, primitive information and error. With a large enough group of independent people, the errors tend to cancel out. This leaves primarily useful information. As a result, groups of independent individuals, such as a compilation of PTQ winners, generally make the best decisions as they have more useful information than any individual. This of course assumes that the individuals possess any useful information and they are not unduly influencing each other, causing a cascade effect. Let's look at what a cascade effect is and how information cascades are created. First, say that someone organizes an unusual tournament. 50 of the players are given identical blue white decks in some new format. They are matched up against 50 players piloting red-green decks in the same new format. There was one round played, and no one sees the results of anyone else's match. A person at random is asked which deck he thinks won the most matches. Everyone else is able to hear his answer, though, not his result. Then a second person is asked, then a third, and so on. Each person who guesses the winningest deck receives a box of product. Everyone beyond the first person has private and public information to base their decisions on. The private information is the result of your match. The public information is what everyone else chose before you were asked. Clearly, the first person will base his decision on the result of his match and how it played out. Now, let's say you are the fourth person asked. Your goal is to guess correctly and win the product. In your match, blue-white won easily. However, the first three players all select red-green as the deck they think won the most. <laughs> What's your you name? Most players would go with the group against their own results which is the rational thing to do. This would produce the correct answer more often than not, but would also usually start a cascade, essentially dooming everyone else if they were wrong. The information cascade is a chain reaction of decision-making where almost everyone involved is basing their decision on the decisions of others, who in turn base their decisions on others, regardless of personal information. Now, often these cascades carry a useful message to everyone quickly, such as when you are at a street corner and everyone starts crossing. Even if you can't see the walk sign, it is fairly safe bet that the crowd knows what it is doing. However, if the first couple of people were in error, the cascade can send a harmful signal to all, everyone panicking and trying to run out of a movie theater when someone yells fire. On the other hand, let's suppose the participants were each paid a box if the group arrived at the correct answer by a vote, still taken one at a time as before now the group can essentially assure itself of success if everyone places their vote based on their private information rather than the group's decisions even if the first three vote red green you would still say blue white to give the group the most useful information about your match this would make you more likely to guess wrong however the group is more likely to be collectively right encouraging people to make incorrect guesses actually makes the group as a whole smarter Quantity and variety are actually better for the group than focusing on quality. Let's look at more information cascades, but now consider why they don't happen more often in magic. First of all, not all decisions are made sequentially. Each week, players are all simultaneously select what they will play. The sequential effects thus often take several weeks. Also, magic cards are peculiar in that there are two huge relatively Uh, advantages to being contrary and selecting something you know to be a weaker deck. 1. Obviously you have surprise value, such as cards or strategies your opponents may not be expecting or prepared for. 2. Weaker and the abstract decks can post winning percentages versus the best decks, which means if enough people play the best decks, the weaker decks that beat them may be better choices for the metagame. Of course, there are also other reasons people want to play strategies other than the best, such as enjoying a different strategy more, or not owning cards for the best deck. Information Cascades can be useful for spreading information quickly and efficiently, such as crossing the street corner on Memory Jar and Skullclamp. Do we really need to wait around for everyone to test thoroughly these cards and determine just how broken they are? However, the fundamental problem with an information cascade is that after a certain point, it becomes rational for people to stop paying attention to their own private knowledge and start looking at and imitating the actions of others. If everyone is relatively almost as likely to be right about something, and everyone before you has made the same decision, it is rational to do what they did. But once an individual stops relying on his own information and starts imitating the group the cast stops being informative. This is how decks like Ghost Dad come to be regarded as good. Read, not terrible. The first few people who played it insisted it was good. No doubt surprise value, metagame, and fun were factors. As a result, people began to accept it as a given that Ghost Dad was a tier one deck. Everyone, or many anyway, thought that everyone else was making decisions based on what they knew, when in reality, they were making them based on what they thought the people before them knew. The solution? Those army ants that wander off. The overconfident individual who insists he or she is right and the crowd is wrong. Do such people exist? Of course. And there is no shortage of such planeswalkers in Dominaria. One reason is that people are, in general, overconfident. Neraris wake much? They overestimate their ability, their level of knowledge, and their decision-making prowess. They are more overconfident with hard problems than easy ones. Side note, two exceptions to this are professional bridge players and weathermen. It really does rain 30% of the time. Weathermen predict a 30% chance of rain. Anyhow, this is not good for the overconfident decision makers themselves generally, since it means they are more likely to choose poorly. But it is good for society as a whole, well in this case the magic community. This is because overconfident people are less likely to get sucked into a negative information cascade and in the right circumstances can even break them. This is why many great deck builders are often chronically overconfident. High Flores. (laughs) In short, cascades are created by people valuing public information more than private information. Overconfident people don't do that. They tend to go out and gut and place a higher value on private information. When they do so, they disrupt the signal that everyone else is getting. They make the public information seem less certain. That encourages others to rely on themselves rather than just follow everyone else. Everyone effectively votes on what they think the best deck is for that week. People lay it out, see the results, and then vote again. People like Michael Flores, Alan Comer, Eric Lauer, Eric Taylor, Mark Herberholz, Darwin Castle, and Andrew Cuneo may, may make nine bad decks for every good deck they design, But it is this diversity, this variety of options that gains the collective the greatest opportunity to make the best decisions. My apologies to the Japanese deck builders who have come to dominate in the past five years. I look forward to getting to know you all better in the years to come. Groups are better at deciding between possible ideas than coming up with them. Innovation is an individual enterprise. We have already seen how intelligent imitation can be useful, but how can we avoid slavish imitation? when few will admit they're mindlessly conforming or hurting. Intelligent imitation depends on an initial wide array of options and information. Also, there must be a willingness of at least some people to put their own judgment ahead of that of the group, even when it's not sensible to do so, i.e. the overconfident people. Where does this leave us? First, innovators are good for the collective, even if they hurt themselves at times by the choices they make. If you want to increase your edge in the deck tech department, Obviously, it is useful to test with a variety of creative players. John Finkel may be friends with Mike Flores, but he certainly values him him highly as a playtest partner. Why? Creativity can be more valuable than individual performance. That sounds like a burn. On the other (laughs) hand, if you are one of those... I was at John's house tonight, by the way. On the other hand, if you are one of those chronically overconfident players, come on, keep it real, it may serve you to listen a little more to what the rest of your buddies have to say. This is particularly true for eccentric players and players you test with less or influence less. Variety is the spice of life. Involving yourself with two or three playtest circles will increase your chances of choosing the best deck for that tournament exponentially. Still, mindless imitation of those around you or on the net is akin to being one of those army ants that marches in a circle until death. Mark Herber Holtz found himself in a circular mill at the Beach House in Hawaii. Almost everyone had convinced each other that their black, green, white control deck was the deck. Mark wandered off, though, deciding that his perception, Heazy Street, was better than the group's perception, the failed Beach House deck. Heasy, of course, went on to win the Pro Tour, beginning a cascade of his own. Are Scorched Drusalka, Frenzied Goblin, Dryad, Sophisticate, Scab Clan, Mauler, Giant Solifuge, and Flames of the Blood Hand really the best cards for a gruel deck? Perhaps, for that tournament... Perhaps even now, but it is undeniable. There are a lot of other red-green cards worth considering that many write off, just assuming that everyone else was playing Mark's build for a reason. How many people tested all the options and arrived at Mark's build versus how many took it for granted that someone already had? Now, personally, I do think Mark's build was the best. For that tournament, I wouldn't have changed a single card in the main deck. That makes what followed an example a positive Cascade. The Cascade in this case allowed everyone to very quickly decide what the best Gruul deck was and if they wanted to be red-green mages or not, instead of spending large amounts of time determining if red-green is even playable.
0: Just quick, quick aside, you know what this reminds me of? So my friend Bradley recently won the regional championship in Dallas with a Gruul deck with uh, his version of Gruul Vehicles that is now called Gruul Seekers because he played for, well, they were in Thrill Seeker in his deck. And like easily, and then just won The tournament right over people with that card. So, I don't know. What, so is, fu-
1: what is what is thrill Thrillseeker? I don't even. Know it's that it's
0: card. two and a red for a one one. It has backup two. You know this mechanic.
1: Yeah, it yeah, comes okay. into play, and it either boosts itself or a creature that's already in play with it. Yeah, back backup
0: two. And the backup ability is uh, one generic mana. Sacrifice this creature; it deals damage to any target equal to its power. So the combo is you put. This on a love-struck beast or a, um, a sky sovereign. There's a bunch of different things you can you can do with it, but um, grow Gro- vehicles was not a very large percentage of that meta game. It was very small for that tournament, and I, I don't think many people even played throw seeker to begin with. He might have been the only one. I'm not sure, but his his build was very unique, and for for that event overall.
1: But now everyone is seeking thrills.
0: Yeah, they on stream. They were like, we're renaming the deck to growth rural seekers instead of Rural vehicles because of how that card is over, overperforming every time Bradley is on
1: coverage. Oh, good for your friend. Is he an LA player who's near you?
0: Uh, yes, he was based in LA, and now he moved to Milwaukee.
1: Milwaukee. Oh, so but, he's, he's a Wisconsinite now.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing him
1: in Misty. Yeah, I'll see him in uh, a month and a half at at Worlds in Vegas. Anyway. Basically, it is a fine line one walks between choosing what is best in a vacuum, knowing when to go with the crowd, i.e. Necro, versus what is best in a given situation. Which often involves being that upstart who insists they know something everyone else doesn't, i.e. Turbo Stasis. By the way, the examples that Chapin is choosing were 10 years old, even at the time that he was choosing those examples. (laughs) Turbo Stasis was like a surprise deck in 1996. This article was written in 2006. The truth is, people that net deck all the time would tend to improve their group's decision-making by innovating a little more, even if their ideas are usually bad or even terrible. But it's their friends, playtest partners, Would benefit the most since it would expose the group to more ideas and possibilities at the cost of individuals using less safe ideas if everyone does this it maximizes the group's gain but it is actually most beneficial in the small picture for any one individual to play it safe and let everyone else innovate assuming your goal is to win the most games now what this means is that typically people who net deck do better than people who innovate this makes sense since net decks are generally good and new strategies are generally not However, if you want to get an edge over the net deckers, innovation is the way. You just need to be able to generate enough ideas that you can select the best. The nut high is for everyone in your group to innovate, though not at the same time. And not just ride the coattails of a few. This is particularly true for players who want to contribute more to your circle's performance than just their own. If actual tournament play is not your strong suit, supplying a variety of ideas, again, even if most are bad to your group, will bring everyone up. The flip side to this is is those times you want to maximize short-term performance, i.e. PTQ or Pro Tour. It can actually be disadvantageous to always be trying to innovate ideas. Typically, one's ideas are not as good as one thinks. This means if you are consistently choosing an idea that ducks the crowd, you're probably putting yourself at a disadvantage. Of course, people who do have good ideas sometimes get to have them. The key is to find a group of playtest partners who recognize the difference between your good and not so good ideas and who are willing to say so. Also, be careful to sort among your friends strong and weak ideas. Long story short, if you typically net deck, you should innovate more. If you typically go rogue, you should imitate more. Both assume your goal is to win more. The most effective strategy for a group of gamers to win the most when it counts involves diversity and innovation at their highest when it doesn't matter and heavier imitation, though not slavish, when individual performance does. Of course, knowing who to imitate is a whole other story. Until next time, Pat Chapin.
0: Um, It's a website that provides a lot of useful and insightful data but also there might be sort of this um, uh, herd mentality when certain cards get played or picked over other cards in a given format,
1: right? Yeah, but it depends on what you're interested in, right? Like, um, I don't know if you've ever, like, gotten to play with the, the Madison guys at, like, the pro level in Limited. Like, they have completely different draft archetypes than everybody else on Earth, and their draft archetypes are often awesome and, like, unbeatable, but, like... They are like contingent on getting like very specific cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like if you don't play with specifically the Madison guys, you'll never be you'll never be exposed to these amazing um, draft archetypes they have. And they'll unless, I mean, you know, Sam Black puts it on drafting archetypes or something. Um, and then you know you just play against one of them at the pro tour, and then they beat you with like some weird equipment combination that you never heard of before. Like
0: for for a small aside example, is like in Lord of the Rings right now. I've played a lot of decks that have around fifteen lands. I've also played a lot of decks that are like four to five colors, and the reason being at common you have land cyclers, and in green even though there's not there's no there's no dual lands in the set, there's a lot of fixing at common in green, so. I will like play at FNM. Like, I played at FNM and like at a, a local team draft. Where I, I both both times I played a four color deck. My opponents just could not understand how I built my deck, or they did, did not think it was it was possible, right? But you know, I wonder FNM what kind players of
1: players are are in general not the strongest level. That's a, no the that, weakest yeah. level of, of tournament player. Right? No,
0: that's that that's fine. I mean, when was a team draft? But the the point I'm trying to make more of. Is um, I I think overall with like limited uh, an easy thing to do in a group sort of group mentality is you just play always two color decks. I mean, there's predetermined archetypes and that's kind of it. But there's a lot of room to. I, I think the, the Madison guys do a great job at this, and you know Sam especially from watching his streams and reading his articles is there's just a lot more archetypes out there that can be brought together that I think most players on average
1: aren't. Uh, yeah. So aren't my bad. point is like, you need to have, you know, that first army ant wandering off in order to fall into the Madison guys information cascade. Right. So if those guys are not, because there are time, even if, even if all of them play arena for sake of argument, right. There's so, there's such a small number of them relative to the millions of people who are playing arena that like, they're weird combinations of cards that they're that they're picking together. Because like oftentimes their their weird uh yet successful drafting archetypes they have are contingent on having certain cards in combination with one another, right? Like a bunch of low value cards, but come together with great synergy. That's just not gonna that's not gonna drown out. The way 17 Lands is organized is basically based on card power in the abstract, right? Individual card power. Right. Like when you draft a card like the likelihood that you're going to have an improvement in your hand or win the game when you draw a card right like they don't the, the the structure of that website is not that conducive to like okay I have this unplayable equipment and this unplayable uncommon in the same deck and but when they come together you know I can't be beat right that, that that's like a, that's obfuscated in 17 lands data I think mhm um so did you like this article
0: I did. Yeah, I I think it's actually, I think, good, good perspective. I think one thing that I I'd like to know more of or maybe I'd have to kind of ask myself is when is the right time to innovate and when's the right time to kind of stay the course and just net deck and call it it
1: a day. So at the time that Patrick wrote this, he didn't have a computer. Right. So he would write um, his articles in um, like on paper. And he really? okay. sent them to me in the mail. I wrote this article, yeah. I, I mean when I said I wrote this article, I typed this article. Um I typed this article and submitted it to uh, the editors at Star City Games and I wrote the note I said this is gonna be the article of the year and I this article has like a really you know, a really soft spot in my heart for it. It was just like Patrick's Coming Out party. He had he had already written a bunch of magic articles at this point, but um at that point like I was winning like Writer of the Year and Article of the Year like every year, right? But I said, this is going to be Article of the Year. And it was the first time I, in years I hadn't won Article of the Year. So I still won Writer of the Year that year. Uh, but Patrick won Article of the Year for Information Cascades. And the next year, he was Writer of the Year. So, um, But yeah, at the time, he didn't have a computer. so uh, it, I always joke, like, I got paid $75 for, uh, for Who's the Beatdown, which is the most cited magic article of all time. <laughs> So I got paid seventy five dollars for that one. I think patrick got paid thirty five dollars for this one uh his rate hadn't I, maybe his rate had gone up to seventy five dollars after after this article i would I would hope so uh yeah no I mean look we both of us did much better than seventy five dollars article eventually but uh but he, this was really early in his his career as a writer so why
0: did you want to pick this article for today for our glorious return to the podcast scene
1: well, so um I was like on I was like on a short notice right so you and I had chatted yesterday, and um, F Pauls had so it, in a private Discord, uh, F Pauls you know the the great formerly modern streamer but now I guess pre modern streamer uh, had said he had just he had just finished listening to every episode of Ancestral Recall and whenever something happens that's interesting in Magic he will reference an episode of Ancestral Recall. And he will literally say something like, oh, that guy should have just that guy should have listened to Ancestral Recall number 18 is a <laughs> common thing that he will say. Right. Like that we had had an article that covered, you know, somebody like going all in on the wrong thing when they had a clear win on the table, you know, like something like that. And he's just like, oh, man, that that podcast series was such a, such a set of bangers. Right. So then I just mentioned it to you and you're like, OK, let's start recording again. Just pick an article and we'll record tonight. And I just I, – I was busy, so I didn't have time. And I, I bat-signaled out. I, I eventually got a good recommendation for one, which we'll do next time. Because uh, I was just like, hey, somebody just pick an article that, that we haven't done uh, and and we'll throw it up. Um, but at the time, I, I went to the gym or whatever, went to a run, and, and I hadn't gotten any good um, good suggestions yet. But I'm like, you know what? We don't always do my articles, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And I thought this was, this one's such an epic article in the history of magic. I love it. It was Patrick's coming out party. Uh, It won article of the year. Uh, I think it very deservedly won article of the year. Um, And uh, at the time, I really liked it because I hated Ghost Dad. And I would would rip on people who played Ghost Dad all the time. (laughs) And so it was just like really validating a thing that I thought, which is, because people were just all playing Ghost Dad for no reason. It's just not a good deck.
0: Is your like, hatred for, for Ghost Dad uh, greater or less than your hatred for Skullcrack?
1: I mean, Skullcrack is not playable. <laughs> I mean, Ghost Dad was... You could win a Q playing Ghost Dad. People made, like, top 32, made day two of the Pro Tour playing playing Ghost Dad. Uh, it just was, like, the fourth best black-white deck. You know, and, like, the thing was there were a bunch of black-white decks you could play. Just The thing that I hated about Ghost Dad was, like, it was a moto deck. or So, like, at the time... There was, like, a very small contingent of, like, Moto grinders who were, like, emerging. I think Paulo—I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not Paulo. I think Paul Cheon and LSV had not played in the Pro Tour yet at this point, if you can believe that. Like, they—or um, maybe it only played in, like, a very small handful of, of Pro Tours. But there were a bunch of people who were just only played Moto. And, you know, like, today, if you're like, all right, if you have people who just play Arena, right, then, you know, that's, like, a legitimate wing of the of the Magic community right so mm-hmm. these guys who were just playing moto were like coming up with each other right pulling each other up and they were just kind of like oh this is our first pro tour or whatever and they all work together and like ghost dad was like a moto deck or like red red blue owl was a moto deck you know mm-hmm. and like i came from a wing of like all right well we're experienced pro tour players and we're all going to test with other experienced pro tour players so it was like annoying like these guys were like so, they got on their first pro tour they were just so vociferous about how great their ghost dad tech was i just remember osa playing for top eight against one of the ghost dad guys and he has a lethal blaze and he has this lethal blaze in his hand and he's just like oh you're not one of those idiots playing shining Shoal, are you they just didn't cast it he just waited until he got a dragon and killed the dragon <laughs> <laughs> Cause he was just like it would be really embarrassing if he was gonna like go make top eight of the Pro Tour and then get his blaze reversed by, by a black white deck. It's hilarious though. But anyway, point being Ghost Dad put zero people into the top eight. It had some initial success on the PTQ scene just because it was act like all the black white decks were pretty good against red red um uh, red green and red green was obviously a popular uh, a popular deck. It just won the Pro Tour right so mm-hmm. so like you you could just get a pairing where you were like ghost as red green and you you were likely to win but it's just like you know why why play with a nickel when you could play with a quarter right that was why and and people who play ghost dad were like, oh it's good why is it good like, we win but like you would win more if you had ghost husk you know and there's like, ah, ghost dad and like I mean, I'm guilty of this. I love playing synergy decks. You know, I love I love getting synergies. I love getting free cards, stuff like that. And Ghost Dad was good at that. But the cards that you got sucked. They were like three-cast and cost pacifisms for the most part. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think some of the things that I've written about Modern Burn are probably less true now than they were when I wrote them. Like, Scam is like a really popular and good deck in Modern, right? Mm-hmm. When I won the RCQ I won last winter, I, th- I played against zero Scam decks. And I think there were zero Scam decks in the tournament, although Scam had existed already, right? just were not in the tournament that I played in. Like, I think that Sanctifier on Vec is probably better than I thought it was at the time. Like, I, think- I didn't like Sanctifier on Vec because people play it like it's a good anti-red card. If you want to have an anti-red card for white, white, you play Core Firewalker, right? And they're like, Correct. well, I have Sanctifier and Vec for this matchup. I'm like, I beat that matchup. But, like, you beat that matchup anyway if you have, you know, Smash to Smithereens and Roiling Vortex, right? Like, Roiling Vortex does what Sanctifier and Vec does in the uh, in the Grinding Station matchup, for example. It doesn't, like... Like, Sanctify and Vec, if they don't remove it, like, they it's it's really hard for them to combo off. But, like... Roiling Vortex, like, they, they can't like, they can't keep buying back their mocks, right? Like, that's just not a thing they can do. Right? <laughs> they have to answer that, you know. So, so I'm just like, well, I'm going to play these cards. I don't really need Sanctifier back, but like, if Scam is the most popular deck, having a creature that's protection from black and red that also stops reanimation effects is like a lot more valuable than it was eight months ago, right? Where people weren't playing that deck as much, like so. I would soften my position on that, but I think that people who are just sleeping on Eidolon and playing four Skullcracks are like Looney Tunes. So, um, I don't.
0: Under, I don't. Even, my last thing was like, I don't understand where like the the switch happened to cut Eidolon altogether. Was it because there was too much like elementals and things getting
1: cheated into play Pe- that were over? People were two already mana? not. People were already not playing Eidolon when I won my RCQ last year. There were no Eidolon. Like, I, I I've taken. A I considerable... played Eidolon. And it was awesome.
0: I've taken a considerable break from playing constructed in general because I've, I've been winning a lot more with limited and qualifying that way. But the last... Moder- I played, I think, one modern event this year, which was an RCQ. It was a 2 slot. You made it
1: all the way to the finals.
0: Yeah, I lost to... Spoiler alert, I lost to Murfolk in the finals. Or, or for, for a slot, Murfolk, right? the worst matchup on Earth, though. But I played against, like, Murktide twice. I played against um, Omnath Elementals twice. I think I, I won one, lost one. And then I beat... I forget, what the, I forget what the last... like a, I think a Titan Shift deck or something. I don't know. I beat some other deck, then I beat Scammed and lost to Murphal.
1: So, um. like, Skullcrack certainly has text in certain situations, right? It has text if you're getting hit with a worm Coil engine, right? It has text against Omnath on certain turns. But the, my problem with it is it has text, but, like, you need it to be on demand, right? Like... And you're often not in a situation where you can dictate whether you even have mana to cast it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're just so pot-committed on main phase, like the way that the burn decks are constructed right now, that you don't you necessarily sit back and, like, have two mana to cast the skull crack. And so, uh, I just, I dislike it from that perspective. When people are like, oh, well... You know, you can you can stop the life link on the whatever yeah, whatever. Shut up. Just kill their guy. Like, you know, it what's our strategy always been to searing their guy? Like all these guys that they want you to to life link other than wormcoil engine you can beat with a searing, you know. And right. Uh and it's so much better against almost everybody's actual configurations cuz like the number of times I've played against like a hammer time player who's just sitting there like saying, "Well, I'm just playing against your your deflecting palm. I just don't have deflecting palm in my deck. Like, thanks for just not attacking then. That's great. <laughs> okay. um, it's just, I hate, I just hate sitting back and hoping that I have exactly the right two of response card when my opponent is coming at me with like an eight of, re- like my opponent's got like, like the Urza's land that like searches for Urza saga, right? They've got Urza saga and eight copies of all their combo cards. But I'm supposed to beat them with two copies of a sideboard card, right? Like, and and mine has to be defensive, and I have to have mana open when they're attacking, when they comboed me with like they have they have Urza Saga and eight copies of all their combo pieces. Like that math doesn't even make sense, right? So like, you know, it's like an analogy is like I wanna, I wanna play to build a business, right? Like I want the things that I do to. I'm building towards something. I'm playing to get better. I'm playing to build my skill. I'm playing to play my cards better. I'm building a business. That's how I'm going to make money, right? The people who win with cards like Deflecting Palm just want to rob a bank, right? Like, <laughs> they're not interested in building a business. They, they want an adrenaline rush. They want somebody to play a gristle, gristle brand on turn two and attack them, and then that, that's how they win a regional championship. That's what they want, right? <laughs> Yes. The number of times I fought you with you over this is you're like, well, I, that's how I won the Richard championship. I'm like, great. You robbed a bank. Right. But like you can't rob a bank every week. Yeah. I know. Right. That's that's the that's the thing. And like um, it's something I think that you should try to rob a bank if everybody in the tournament is better than you. That's what I think. But I think that if you're look, you look at your average performance in RCQs, you have like a 75 percent win rate in RCQs. You are not worse than everybody else in the tournament. You should not be trying to rob the bank. You don't have to. Right? Right. You, th- that's exactly when you should be trying to build a business. So, like, you mm-hmm. know, you have good skill. You can choose good cards. You can deploy your cards on average in a way that lines up well against your opponent's cards. Why do you need to try to rob the bank? You don't have to. And then you, you're just so much more flexible so much more often. I agree.
0: So after, after I, this, we got we should figure out what our our burn list is for the <laughs> next RCQ season.
1: I think that we're gonna. I think we're gonna play like two Sanctifier on Vex on our sideboard, but I think I wouldn't change a whole lot of other, other cards. I don't think um, so either. I think like the one thing I'm wondering about is like the main deck metamorphos that I had. I think that card's probably pretty bad against Bowmasters. So I think like I don't want, but like every other card in our deck is insane against Bowmasters. <laughs> So they're just making a 1-1 and another 1-1? We have eight Searings? Like, come on, Bowmaster. Searing Blood is a card, I I
0: don't understand why more people don't have that in their sidebar. That card is just always chef's kiss. I love that card. I
1: mean, like, how many games have you won over the course of your career playing Burn where you had, like, four Searing, four more Searing, four Smash (laughs) Smash the Smithereens in your deck? Against just, like, like, humans or something? Yeah, like, deploying, like, a Mem Knight, you know? <laughs> a Blink Moth Nexus. I mean, like, come oh. on! Like, every single card you have is, like, kill your guy, draw one and a half cards. Every single card. And they're just playing O2s. One-ones. Like, it's just a joke. But people just don't play these cards. Instead, they're like, I'm going to try to rob a bank. So, like, it just doesn't occur to them. They're like, well, if they get the hammer... Yada, yada, yada. Like, so you're saying you have to have two mana on demand to reverse the effects of the hammer. Why don't you just remove their creature, whether or not they have the hammer? That's a different thing. It doesn't have to be on demand. It could be when you want to do it. You could just destroy the hammer. All right? What about destroying the hammer? Isn't that good? Especially if they take three damage. So, yeah, man. Uh, Patrick O'Halloran Gannon always wins in Pioneer playing... Zoomer Blue Red, I guess you don't play any Pioneer, right?
0: Not, not really. Is yeah, Zoomer, Zoomer Blue
1: Red is the the Drake's deck? Is that? Yep, he's he's like nine and zero in the last three, three tournaments. He's given me he he gets a he gets a arena arena code every time he wins, and he keeps giving me because I gave him Blitz of the Thunder Raptor <laughs> from my extensive collection of Magic the Gathering cards. Nice. Um. All right, so. Patrick Chapin, I think that's uh, his first appearance in the Ancestral Recall podcast. Welcome, Patrick. How long have you lived in LA, aka Ruined Our Podcast? Is it six years now? It's five.
0: Five It's five this
1: month. Five this month. Is it five? Didn't you move away in... It was the summer after I graduated, which was 2018. Yeah, but we went out and partied right before you left, right? And then, and we that was to that was July. Party. That was July of 20, 2018. It's July, yeah. It must have been. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I lost a lot that July. All right, if you say so. So, what do you do? So, so why don't you tell? Because it's been a while since we've had an ancestral recall podcast. Why don't you tell all of our listeners who've been who've been waiting for five years for you to come back? Apparently. Um... We definitely, reco-
0: definitely recorded an episode in that five years, at
1: least. Yeah, one. we also maybe did some two. barbarian class. That's true. Yeah, we <laughs> we we've been around.
0: We were there was one time we went to some pre-release in New York and recorded an episode. Then we didn't we didn't win the pre-release, so we just tossed in the garbage.
1: <laughs> oh, did also like one or two summers ago, didn't you get like a hotel room, and uh, we recorded, and then we went out or something? Oh yeah, we posted that. Yeah, and yeah. And then like a was- crazy person like thugged me in the street. <laughs> some guy almost attacked you in times square yeah yeah, yeah. that was that like two thing. years ago i think
0: two, yeah that was two years ago
1: anyway anyway uh, so what, what are you doing in la
0: so currently i i work at Formosa group a post-production uh studio out here in la and i work in video games we have a video game division and i do all sorts of different sound things you know as you know when i was at nyu i was doing sound design and, and film and I've kind of taken that to my career, which I'm very, very happy about. Um, I guess I, the the some people who know me, who are listeners, know this, but maybe not everyone who will listen to this knows this. But I worked on the most recent uh, Magic: The Gathering cinematic trailer for March of the Machine. Um, our studio does all of the all of the sound design and mix and sort of dialogue recording and editing for all of the cinematic trailers. So I got to design some of the sound effects for Elspeth in the most recent trailer.
1: Yeah, I was like giving you the opportunity
0: to brag about that. That was the whole. Yeah, well, I got there. I wanted to yeah. give some some build up to it. Um, I mean, BDM and I talked about it a bunch in the last episode of Topic Magic when we were both in Minneapolis for for MagicCon. Um, but it's been going pretty well so far. I'm, I'm doing some. I, I do a whole bunch of stuff. Like I worked on. A bunch of different games like God of War, Ragnarok, and Genshin Impact, and the Callisto Protocol. Um, I bounce around doing different things on different projects, but so far it's been great. Only thing I would say is that I really miss New York, and I hope that I'm back someday soon.
1: So, I mean, do you need to be in the studio like the physical studio in LA? Is that a thing so you
0: to do? the 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 project that I'm trying to work on, which I'm scheduled to work on um, in the next couple months, I'm wondering if there's a chance I can work that fully remote because it would come with like me getting a title change and a promotion. And Do you would, own
1: the equipment necessary to work remote?
0: Um, yes and no. So the project that I would work on, I would need a special computer that my studio would, would own. So that would have to get shipped to me. So I'm wondering if there's... If I'm gonna you know, if I'm slated to work on that that project for the next, you know, two or three years, maybe there's flexibility for me to move back and um what's a work special promoting. computer? Like
1: I have that Mac that's like a box. What's the name of it? Like a Mac it... Mac Studio? Yeah. Or, yeah.
0: Mean. Yeah. The the game that I'm working on, I'd be working in Unreal Engine five. Um, so I would need a very special uh computer with the current game that I'd be working on, the current build of that game on it. Um so I do not own the sort of equipment to have that, so it would have to be a whole company computer that they would have to ship to me. But, I mean, the last game that I worked on uh, for a long time was the Callisto Protocol, which was a PS5 game, sci-fi game. Um, And I also worked on a PC and Unreal Engine for that, and I got to work remotely for it out of my apartment, which was nice. So, maybe I could work remotely from New York or New Jersey. Was it
1: You could just been like, working on, like, just on your MacBook?
0: Um... N- depends on the, the project so like for right now what i'm doing sort of dialogue editing stuff for different games i do that all through my mac i just need to have a, a certain program and some plugins and i just do it from there the more in-depth stuff though where i have to be working from a current game build and like ch- and, and submitting um new material that gets checked in xyz all this other stuff i have to be on a very special computer for that that has you know um more confidential information on it
1: oh secrets yes like uh like you're surveilling
0: nda nda stuff that I hopefully we'll talk about in a few years from now but <laughs> at, at the next time we we record this podcast
1: again oh so when last of us four comes out and you like- <laughs> Do you know this uh, from the dead? What? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know
0: that the Last of Us, the Last of Us Part One remastered, is my first official game credit?
1: Shut the front door.
0: Um, I, I I joined the company when we were we were wrapping some stuff on it, and I did like some file transfers and whatever. But my name is in the credits, and that's my first game. The first game that came out with my name in it. That so, is amazing.
1: That's an amazing answer, though. Yeah. Uh, we're playing Resident Evil, remastered reboot or something. Is it R- RE four? Like, no, it's Resident Evil, the original one. Okay. but it's like the re refactor of the remaster. Like, a, I thought it was just like a remaster or whatever. I didn't realize how bad the Resident Evil graphics were. From they weren't bad in like nineteen ninety seven or whenever it came out, right? But like, you know, like these graphics just aren't as good as Red Dead Redemption two or something. You know, for, yeah, uh,
0: sure. But, I uh, I just finished Final Fantasy sixteen, and I
1: really loved it. You love Final Fantasy? So the one I love the the best game I think I've ever played, like you know, PS five game is Persona five Royal. Um, okay. And if you own Persona five, just throw it away. So I told Landy Ho, he's like, "Oh, I got Persona five. It's next on my list. Let me just throw it away. Don't bother playing it." He's just like. What are you talking about him? He's like, I just bought this. I'm like, no, Persona Five Royal. Don't like, and he's just like, can I just up no, off? you can't, it's Persona Five Royal. is better than Persona Five. There's, it's not even any. There's, you can't even talk about it. Have you played them both, or you only played Royal? I've not played any Persona games. Persona Five Royal. is probably the best game.
0: I and just, then, I'm very familiar with the voice cast because a, mm-hmm. I've met or worked on their voiceover before. Yeah. And B, I played a lot of uh, the Trails of Cold Steel series, which is like my favorite JRPG series, and all the actors in, Perf- in Persona are also in that
1: game. So. Are also in that one. Yeah. So then, uh, and the next best game I think is Red Dead Redemption Two, which is just fantastic. It's really, and then The Last of Us, Last of Us Two, Last of Us One are both really good. Mm-hmm. Um, are these all games you're familiar with?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, I I I got into games. I've only been in my job for a year and a half, and I didn't really get into gaming until 2020. I own—I own, I didn't own it. my first console. I got was a PS. My friends used PS4 in the really? fall, like, yeah, my, my first console. I mean, I've had like a, a GameCube growing up and like a Game Boy Advance or whatever, but like I didn't—I played so well, much not Magic. Like a
1: serious console. No,
0: I never had an Xbox. Never had a, a PlayStation or anything. Yeah, um, I was never. I've... Go ahead.
1: Oh, I have a PS5, and then, I mean, I I don't play it at all. Like, I just play it when Bella comes over, you know? Sure. But she's in college, so, you know, she's not even in New York nine months out of the year. Yeah. But, yeah, I just play PS5 with Bella, and then um, I just play... If I if I have other time to play video games, I just play Magic Arena for the most part.
0: I mean, I, I, I play games now, like, pretty regularly throughout my week.
1: But it's your job now, right?
0: Yeah, so, of course, and, and it's... A lot of the things that I'm seeing, and I try and keep up with the newer titles because, you know, we're working on games of, of similar caliber. And I think it's important to kind of keep up with the industry and what other sound designers are doing, or how their how their systems are are set up for foley and voiceover and X Y Z stuff. Um,
1: Speaking of sound, we're going to do another episode. So we already picked our article for the next episode, right?
0: if it's the one that we the other one that we were gonna to do tonight yes we have we have it yeah. picked out so and that, it, it. It, it will be happening I'm committed I'm okay as I'm glad I, you're I, committed as I told you about working out right now like i'm I'm in it to win it so sweet
1: so that so that's also a sad story for me so there is a pioneer RCq in White Plains on Saturday right okay so uh pog was gonna get his mom to give us her car or we' were gonna drive He's they to leave the city by 11, but I got pogged into running races. So we have a race Saturday – first thing Saturday morning. It's like 7.30 or 8.30 a.m., but it's, like, on Governor's Island. And there's only one ferry an hour, basically. So, like, like we're just trying to time this out. Like, he's just like, all right, give me all your magic cards, like, the night before, right? I'll just have your magic cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll have him at his house, right? We'll get off the race, right? And then he I have to come back and shower or whatever. He's like, just shower the gym by my house, you know? But it would just be too tight. Because like, there's only one ferry an hour. Even if we, like, finish the race, like, n- nominally get off of Governor's Island by 9.30, could we get off the island by... I mean, could we get off of Manhattan by, like, 11? It's just... It seems impossible to me. He, you're it's, uh, it's, 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 I would what? just say, just... Uh, I guess the, the season's ending pretty
0: soon, right? How many more shots do you have this season to, to queue for Atlanta?
1: Uh, I've only played in two, and I didn't, I didn't do well in either of them.
0: Um... It's, i played in two (laughs) i won the second one i played
1: yeah well i i played in two i failed to make top eight in both i mean i was like there was like a game out of top eight in both you know it's like how it always is but i didn't make top eight in either one
0: um are you gonna be playing hopefully one event at least of the modern rcq season i mean but you you have to how many
1: reps do i need with my burn deck
0: not many you need to put these these skull crack people to shame man
1: so but tell me if this is if this is a fundamental betrayal of my uh of of my identity i mean scam is really close to a flores deck isn't it right like it's an aggressive deck it has a lot of play to it you know i before i was a burn guy i won i won i did all my damage in the late 90s with with Duress Aggro decks. Sure. I won a lot of PTQs with... I, I would not fall you duress. for playing...
0: For I would not fall you for playing the Protor deck.
1: I mean, it, this certainly seems right up my alley. Right? So, uh, the fact that Beardsley was, like, playing first turn Fury instead of first turn Grief just to get the clock on was, like, a really cool... was a really cool uh, sort of innovation to me. Uh, I mean, the downside is... Like I'd have to buy a lot of the cards, right? Like I don't own Ragavan, right? So just Ragavan alone is it's like a close to a four hundred dollar commitment before you're before you buy. I mean, I guess after Ragavan, then I need to buy Bowmasters. That's like another like hundred sixty bucks, right? And then like Grief and Fury, is, like another two hundred bucks or something. Mm-hmm. That's like a lot of commitment of cards that I don't own, you know. So I think I own most of the rest of it, but you know. For one mm-hmm. other modern deck, right? Like, I mean, I could play other modern decks that I own. I, But that's the one if I weren't playing Burn, I think I'd want to play. Sure. You know, like, I could play Tron. Actually, I don't own the One Ring. So, so like... All these things are are tough steps.
0: I, I never want to hear you say I could play Tron in a modern event ever again. That's like our... That's our mortal enemy.
1: It is. I So, Tron is our... Tron is the deck that we always beat, except for in matches that matter. Correct. <laughs> We've had the exact same experience our entire lives. <laughs> if the match matters, we never win. If the match doesn't matter, we raffle <laughs> some <stop> them. <laughs> All right. So I want to say something, because Pog was, like, trying to explain to me why Skullcrack is good. He's like, well, what if they have the One Ring? And he says, well, if they have the One Ring, and I, and I understand how this works. And I'm like, if they have the One Ring, the thing that you could do is Skullcrack yourself. And then you can attack, and then your guys get through for damage. And he's just trying to walk through all these situations. I'm like, they still have protection. You can't target them. The only thing that it does is make it that you can Skullcrack yourself, and your guys can get it through for combat damage, possibly with prowess. That's the extent of what Skullcrack can do. Right? I don't understand why people think it's good.
0: I don't know, man. we talked about Skullcrack enough for this podcast. Um, information Cascades. Great article. I'm surprised we haven't done it before. Definitely, One of the best
1: articles of all time.
0: Definitely something that I'm going to keep in, in mind once I start you know, prepping for uh, RC Atlanta and playing more constructed events. Um, what is the of
1: format of RC Atlanta? Pioneer. Pioneer. I think Spirits is the best.
0: It's good. I, I have no idea. I have not touched the format in months, but... Once once the set's release, we get because we we have two set releases until that that tournament. Oh, okay. Um, so closer to when uh, the Ixalan set comes out in November, I'll have a better idea of what I want to start playing. I
1: think. You're, it, w- what relation is Patrick O'Hallor, and Gannon to you? So Itai is your son, and I guess Pog is his like hetero life partner. So I guess that makes him like your son-in-law
0: ish. <laughs> My son-in-law, sure.
1: Ish, right? Um. So. Paul yeah, he can't lose with uh with uh, Blue Red Drakes. Alright. So keep that one in mind. Uh Blitz of the Thunder Raptor. Keep it in mind. I can't win in Pioneer. Although like last Pioneer season I had some I had some top fours. Um but like I missed the slot, but then I, I eventually won Modern. But I guess I was playing my mono-red deck. Maybe I should just play that instead of all these other decks people are playing. I think you should try and get over to this uh, event in White Plains. It's, dude, it's so, I mean, let me think. Like, I think that the race starts at 8.30, right? So, like, I'll be done by 9, right? But Pog won't, right? I have to assume Pog will not be done for, like, another, you know, 15 minutes or something. And then there's just, the problem is there's one fairy an hour. If you miss the ferry, you're just waiting for forty minutes. Sure. Yeah. So like the, the thing is, it's not a far trip on the river. <laughs> it's literally what a five minute ferry. Where, but you can't get you can't get back to Manhattan. It's the only way back to Manhattan is the ferry.
0: There's where's if, did, you, did you win a Gamer's Choice? Is that where you won your last uh, one?
1: I I maybe I won someplace in Queens.
0: Uh.
1: Last In, time, wait, sent yeah, me, like it, a gif of like all the of all the local tournaments and I just went to them.
0: There's there's literally a pioneer tournament at gamer's choice on the on the 20th. Just win that one. Okay. Or why don't why don't you just go to Hex & Company and play the limited one? Or no, wait, no, there is Hexenco has um has a two slot pioneer uh on the 19th.
1: Wait, so I can play the 19th and the 20th?
0: Yeah, there's a, you, there's there's three slots that weekend. In contention.
1: Oh, so I, it doesn't matter that we can't go to this one.
0: Yeah. Why, are you going white, just... going to, why don't you go to White Plains when you have this like huge weekend coming up? I don't and know. You've won. You've won a Game of Choice before. I have. All it takes is, is your your loyal squire to go on <laughs> lowcare.wizards.com to solve your problems.
1: Tier you. F. You want somebody to pop for the hotel room or half of it. And I'm also the best roommate. It's true. T. Right, so T. Okay. Well, um this was a this was great. This is like literally when you know when I got back on the Pro Tour, you know how I got back on the Pro Tour the first time? How? Patrick and I were just like talking after a podcast like this. Um or like before the podcast, we we're just brewing a deck. And and he's just like, all right, let's start the podcast. I'm like, this was actually really good content. We should keep it up, right? And so we kept it up. And I just played the deck we brewed, and I won Q. <laughs> so it's like exactly, exactly that's it. You're just like, why don't you just play in one of these tournaments in two weeks? There you go. Like, like oh, there is? So the thing about Pioneer, that's interesting. I like own so many Pioneer decks. I just never play Pioneer. Like when I say I own the decks, I mean the decks are assembled. Then it's like just not play. even that I own the cards. I actually have a fully assembled blue-white deck, a fully assembled spirits deck, a fully assembled green deck, a fully assembled red deck. I just never play Pioneer. You once told
0: me that if you wanted to be on the PT, you you could, and you would just like yeah. win, win You know, a, a PBTQ. Yeah, you just, you just win one of the PBTQs easily, right? I'm taking the I have internalized that so hard. So, so here's my RC, my my RCQ stretch the first season i was like i was working on um, i was working 60 hour weeks on, on the callisto protocol and i barely had time i played seven events that summer i won on the last weekend possible season two i win the first you won um, the next week the, the exact next week i win the first event i play
1: but you know that 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 <laughs> quote you've used against me so many times and that's what motivates me to win an RCQ. i
0: know season three i lost i played Four events and i top i top two of them and one was a, a loss i lost to in the semis to my friend bradley who was the regional champion regional champion and then i lost to fucking merfolk in three games at so the modern think, and, the then, then, is, wait, and then wait and then and then this season i played two they're both limited and i i outtracked won, table one table and i won the second
1: one so the thing that's weird about me is just like i'm playing a lot of magic right but i just play pre-modern Right. So I just play like tons of pre-modern. I play pre-modern really seriously. Yeah. And that's, that's um, fine. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, I'm just not focused on whatever the RCQ season is, but- which is kind of weird. right? When I used to write for Wizards like, you know, 10 plus years ago, I was so focused on whatever the PTQ season was. I always knew what was going on in the PTQ season versus now, like I'm a combination of like playing standard on arena and like. 99 percent of my magic focus is playing pretty much but
0: that I think that's totally fine though because um he, like when I was in, in when I was in New York with you I was playing every single event and I barely put up a, I, I did not put up a good conversion rate and now that I work a full-time job and I just like draft with my friends for fun as like the extent I play magic and paper I just say okay I'll like focus my energy real hard on winning one, one X weekend and I do it like it's not' It's maybe it's mo- it's different now, because now. I have more experience, and I've I've won um, two limited ones because I, I play a lot of draft now. But it it has not felt as hard as like maybe maybe it's player. I don't know what it is, but it is not felt nearly as hard as when I was in New York and I was going to school full time, and then I was losing in top eight every twice twice a weekend.
1: All right. So now that I know that there's three slots coming up, yeah. Hex and Co. The last time I played there, I made top four. So.
0: Okay, uh, you just have to. win when if if you win one so, more,
1: Hexaco, I made top four and Gamers Choice. I won, and those are the two tournaments that are coming up. <laughs> literally, yes. Lol. <laughs> All right, what should I play? Should I play green? That's a deck people are doing well with. I, know, I own man. four Shieldreds. I literally own four Shieldreds. They're sitting on my desk. Just and I, never, I, I put cannot put them in a sleeve. I here's where I can't help you. I
0: can't help you pick a Pioneer deck because I have not played the form of it. But I'm sure you you can figure it out in two
1: weeks. I would probably just play green. I'll ask right. Meta, he plays a lot. Or maybe like Drakes. Ask 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 the zoomers. They'll know more than me in this. They play Drakes and Green. I know right. I know what they play. Ancestral recalls back, we're in it to win it. Alright. Love Mike. Right. <laughs>